So we're going to continue on in the book of Genesis. As we have walked through uh, looking at Joseph's life, we've watched this journey of God's formation in him from this immature dreamer that God had a clear call on his life, gave him a glimpse of his future, of the role that he would play, even though he didn't understand it yet. But as God walked with him through the pit, into prison, and finally into the palace, God was forming him into the kind of man that had the character and the capacity to carry the call of God on his life. But it's interesting, as we come to this point in his journey where he has, uh, he, he has been called by Pharaoh, the king of the land, to interpret his dream. And in doing so, giving all credit to God, Pharaoh recognizes that the spirit of God is in Joseph. He has released any hold on his own life. The dreams in his heart are no longer about him. It is no longer the things that he can do. It is that he has surrendered fully to God. It's interesting to note that Joseph's dreams for himself, his own dreams, aren't fulfilled until he brought clarity and empowered somebody else's dream. You know, at the beginning, they all, Joseph, his family, misinterpreted that dream he had, his brothers bowing down to him, his mom and dad, like the stars in the sky, bowing down to him. That It wasn't about Joseph being elevated over his family. It wasn't about Joseph ruling his family. It was about God providing for his family through Joseph. It was that God had a plan, not just for him, and not even just for his family, but to bless the world through that family. It wasn't a dream about him being elevated into this amazing position of authority. It was about a dream where he actually would be serving to lift up those around him. In the same way, we all carry dreams. Some of you have had a dream, a glimpse that you had when you were a kid. I want to be a part of this. I feel this burning in my heart for this. Some of you, somewhere along the way, let that dream die. Or maybe circumstances, or difficult moments, or hard relationships, or just the situation you found yourself in, that dream felt like lost or forgotten. But that call of God, that man or woman that he made you to be, the thing that he put in you to do, was never lost. And in fact, what we see in Joseph's life is that it is not in spite of the pit and the prison, the low points and the difficulties and the tragedies that he walked through, but precisely because of them that he was able to actually step into the thing that God eventually had for him. He had to let his dream die before it could be born again into what it was always meant to be. Pharaoh, recognizing the spirit of God in him, then places on Joseph the symbols of belonging and authority. Starting in 41, 42, actually. Or 41, 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put, his, put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Everything that Joseph lost, God restored a hundredfold. A family, belonging, responsibility, authority. He's been brought into a new family. And God has brought abundance where before in Joseph's life there was only loss. And now we see not just the external circumstances of Joseph's life changing, but the internal reality of Joseph's life being transformed. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. The church is intended by God to be a culture of forgiveness. It's the water we're invited to swim in. It's the currency of the kingdom. It is what we exchange back and forth. Not only invited by Jesus to receive forgiveness, but called by Jesus to release forgiveness into the world. It is to define our lives. It is to saturate our homes and our businesses. It is to be the heart of who we are as the community, the people of God. But why is it so hard? Right? Just be honest. Just think about right now. Somebody who has offended you, wounded you. I mean, that could go all the way back to when you were three years old or maybe when you were 30 or yesterday. And it's amazing that even those childhood experiences that for some of you happened 40 years ago, that just the right song or smell or note or phrase can set it off in your heart as if it happened yesterday. Amen? We know that feeling. You know, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote that everyone thinks that forgiveness is a nice idea until they've been offended. And then to even mention forgiveness is to be met with howls of anger. It reminds me of the great theologian Muhammad Ali, who said, we all have a plan until you get punched in the face. Forgiveness is a great concept until it hurts, right? And there are some things we see in Joseph's life that, that I think can give us some guidance and some direction about what it means to receive, to walk in forgiveness and beyond forgiveness into reconciliation. Joseph has been deeply wounded by his family. Betrayed, in a sense, lied to, abandoned, forgotten, as far as he knows. Everything that he thought he had as the favored son literally stripped away from him and lost. And he has had years to sit in that. And not only is, it, is, is the offense hard enough, I mean, he, he made the most of it in Potiphar's house as a servant and, and taking charge and managing that, that, that re leadership gift that's on his life showing up even there. But 
how much more opportunity is there for that bitterness to creep back in when he's wrongly accused and thrown into prison when he's just doing the best he can with what he has? Honoring God, being honest, being faithful. And again, he's tossed into the pit, into an even lower place when Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. We see every opportunity for that bitterness to sit. And unforgiveness is a poison that withers our soul. I I have met, and I'm sure you have met, people later on in life that just carry an anger, a hurt, these walls of defensiveness, this, this kind of surface rage that at just the slightest provoking bursts forth, or maybe just jadedness, cynicism. Unforgiveness is poison to our souls. And Joseph had every right and reason to live in that place. But when he comes into the, into the fulfillment of the call in his life, we don't see a man defined by unforgiveness and bitterness from his past. Somehow we see a man having trusted God and walking with God, able to move forth with freedom and forgiveness. And how do we know that? Well, we'll know a little bit later this kind of complicated story that happens when his family shows back up, when he's confronted face-to-face with the pain of his past. But even right here, when his family is long gone, forgotten him, done with it, from his perspective, that story is over. He is living a completely new story now. So, jo- so Pharaoh gives Joseph authority, the ring, the robe, the, 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 the necklace, the chariot, Sets him over the land of authority. He begins to operate in responsibility. He's given a wife from the priestly line of Egypt. He's part of the king's house. Verse 45. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephenath Paneah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So I skip ahead to verse 50. Uh, he's, he's predicted or prophesied based on the dreams of Pharaoh that there'd be seven years of famine, or of plenty followed by seven years of famine. He's working during that seven years of uh, plenty to, to, to store up grain for Egypt so that they would be okay through the years of famine. But verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. A scene that the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Now listen to this. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means to forget. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God, which means uh, to be fruitful. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. To forget and to be fruitful. That word forget is really interesting there in the Hebrew. Because there's actually two words for forget throughout the Old Testament. The first one, to forget, it implies to quit caring about. It actually comes from the root to wither on the vine. The idea of just neglecting or or rejecting or to, to cease to care. It's the, it's the word that's used over and over again when God tells his people, do not forget what I've done for you. Do not quit caring about what I've done for you. But that's not the word here. The word forget here actually has the idea of to set aside. 
It's not to quit caring about. It's not to neglect, but it is to let go of, to release, to set aside, to forgive, to cut off the pain of the past, to no longer be defined by the failures of what's been done to him, to forget. Joseph is no longer defined by the pain and the wound of his past. And in that place, he's able to embrace the fruit, the goodness, and the blessings of the present and anticipate the future. I have forgotten the pain of my father's house, and I am embracing the fruitfulness that God has brought in the land of my pain. In the Greek, the word to forgive that shows up throughout the New Testament It's an accounting term. It means to forgive a debt, to let go of, to set aside. We all carry wounds. This past weekend, uh, a friend of ours, Cameron Walker, met with our staff, and, uh, and he said, we all carry wounds from our fathers, our mothers, our lovers, and our leaders. We told him that was a great country song. But it's true. Forgiveness. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's important to hear this. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not denial or repression. Forgiveness is not saying that what happened to you doesn't matter or it wasn't that bad. You see, some people have a hard time forgiving those people who've wounded them, especially those deep wounds from our mothers, our fathers, our leaders, and our lovers. Because we think that to forgive means to to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. Or or that to forgive means that somehow I've worked up in myself a a warm, fuzzy feeling towards a person who's offended me. And when you're praying through forgiveness with somebody that's experienced deep pain, neglect, or abuse, or worse, the idea of saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal, just forgive them. That's not what the Bible's talking about. In fact, forgiveness is the opposite. Forgiveness is actually saying, is coming face to face with the depth of the wound and naming it for what it is. This was wrong. This hurt. This should have never happened. Or, or this should have happened and it never did. You never showed up for me or when you, the ways you showed up for me deeply wounded me and affected me. In your selfishness, I'm carrying the consequences of your choices. And that's wrong. My life has been affected by what you did to me or didn't do for me. But forgiveness is saying, I am setting that aside. I am cutting that off. I am no longer like a debt that is owed, holding you to repay me the things that you have done. And the reality is, is that in 99% of cases, wounds, abuse, hurt, That person 
that offended you never can repay that anyway. That parent that left can't repay the years they didn't show up for you. That spouse that betrayed you can't undo the choices they made. That boss that ridiculed you can't take back the words that were said. They cannot repay you. Forgiveness is saying, that was wrong and that hurt, but I am no longer demanding that payment from you. And canceling the debt. And the power of forgiveness, the reality of forgiveness, truly is only possible because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean that as a cliche. I mean that in a real, powerful, tangible way. And here's why. To release a debt, to say, I am no longer holding this person to account for the things that they did or didn't do. There's still a hole there left to be filled. And the power of Jesus is that the thing that they can never pay you back for or restore or replace, or redeem, or heal, he can. He can. There are some of you that are carrying wounds that are 10, 20, 30, 40 years old. In the back of your mind, you're still thinking, if only they would show up and apologize, if only they would show up and make it right, if only they would get theirs. Nelson Mandela had a brilliant quote when he was imprisoned in, uh, for his efforts to overturn apartheid. That unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting it to kill your enemy. The reality is forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with our own heart and our own soul before God, the one that can heal and replace and restore. And he wants to meet you in that place. Somehow Joseph met a God who was able to pour back into his life, to replace and to heal the things that he had lost, that his brothers and his father could never repay him for. So forgiveness requires an honest acknowledgement of the sin, the wound, the loss. But then releasing that back to Jesus and allowing him to repay, heal, or restore that which that person can never heal or restore. In fact, when we withhold forgiveness to others, we are simply continuing to carry their sin and offense against us. When we focus on the debts that we're owed and the offenses that we've received, the natural response is bitterness and resentment. But biblical confession of telling God the reality of what is is the key to living life fully in his kingdom. Forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. The key to freedom and wholeness. Luke 6.37, Jesus says, forgive others and you will be forgiven. 
Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. There's this principle where forgiveness, releasing and receiving forgiveness are two sides of the same coin. It's easy to see it as you won't be forgiven unless you forgive. Jesus clarifies that when he tells this parable of this servant that owes the king millions of dollars. Comes before the king and begs for forgiveness of that debt. He can never repay that debt that he owes. The king, it says, releases him, forgives him of that debt, cuts the debt off. But then the story turns. That servant that's been forgiven a debt of millions of dollars walks out into the street, and the first thing that he does is he finds a friend of his that owes him a couple hundred bucks, grabs him, shakes him, demands, give me my money. His friend begs forgiveness. He refuses, throws them in prison. The king hears about what has happened. I've just forgiven you millions of dollars, and you just threw your friend in prison for a couple hundred bucks? It says the king's wrath is kindled against that unmerciful servant. Why? Because unforgiveness is a symptom, a sign, that we actually never received forgiveness in the first place. Not that it wasn't extended, but that it wasn't received. How? Because why would the, this guy need a couple hundred bucks from his friend if he had just been forgiven millions of dollars? He would have no need for repayment. But instead, he's still living as one under debt as one who is, who is still in scrambling to try to make it work on his own, not having actually received the forgiveness of the king and therefore unable to release the forgiveness of the king. What are you holding on to? This isn't saying that Forgiveness is going to get rid of all of your negative emotions. We actually see this in the story of Joseph as it continues to play out. And forgiveness isn't usually a, a one-shot deal. Instead, it's more like an onion. You keep peeling back layers. Because not only are we needing to forgive for the original offense, but we're also forgiving for the effects of that sin against us. For that wound in your past that now you're dealing with your own sinful choices and consequences because of that wound from your past. And so the culture of the kingdom is this continually going before Jesus. God, this is what's getting stirred up. This is where I am. I'm hurting. I'm scared. I feel alone. I'm lost. I continue to release and forgive. But forgiveness is the freedom to envision a future in the kingdom that is not bound by the past. And that's where Joseph was able to live. Here's just a, a, a way of praying. Whatever name is coming to mind, whatever you're thinking of. I, 
I am way less concerned with you getting a bunch of interesting theological information and way more interested in you receiving the power of transformation. This isn't just an interesting idea. This is a way of life that Jesus is inviting you into. But a way of praying when I'm, when I'm praying with somebody and stuff is getting stirred up is just simply this. In the name of Jesus, I release whoever that person is in forgiveness for, and then be as specific as you can. Name the sin. Name the wrong. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you bless that person and restore my heart, my soul, and my mind regarding them. Jesus, what do you want me to know? So Joseph has let go of his past. He's embracing his present, and he now has hope for his future. And if this was a simple tale, it'd be great for Genesis to end right there. I mean, Joseph has made it through. The hero rides off into the sunset. He's dealt with his junk. He's ready to move forward. And then all of a sudden, he gets confronted face to face with the pain of his past. Chapter 42 and I'm not going to be able to go into this as much as I'd like. There's so, it's such a beautiful story. But I'm going to try to give a few highlights and then encourage you this week to go back and, and dig into the story for yourself. Because we see, as the story goes on, what reconciliation looks like. And this is what's important to note. As I was talking to my wife, Sadie, about this, she, she, this is really is deeply personal to her, um, this idea that forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. And the reason is partly her own story, but a big part is from praying with just tons and tons of different women who have dealt with some deep abuse and wounds and and, and some from things that they are currently living in or, deal, or situations that they're facing. And so this idea of like, if I'm releasing this person, my husband, my ex-husband, my father, my uncle, whatever it is, in, in forgiveness, does that mean I'm also then now called to pursue relationship with that person? In other words, am I supposed to show up on the doorstep of my abuser and act like nothing has happened? And that's where forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. We are called to forgive because forgiveness is between us and God. It is releasing our hearts from the sins done against us. Reconciliation requires two people. And we cannot control what the other person does. And the reality is that we cannot even begin to talk about rec reconciliation until we've processed forgiveness. Reconciliation is dependent upon forgiveness. But forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. But as we work through forgiveness, then the question we ask is, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do now? And in some cases, it may be, go be reconciled to your brother. Go make things right. But in other cases, it may be, you need to draw some healthy boundaries around your life. You need to get out of this situation. 
You need to call the police. You need to do something about this. But I can't even begin to think clearly about what the right next step is when I'm still living under the weight and the shadow of unforgiveness. It's only in forgiveness that we get the clarity to determine with Jesus what is the next right step forward. We see in Joseph's case, reconciliation becomes the, the, uh, where it goes, but it may not. So let me just tell you, I'll give you the, the sweeping overview, and then you can dive in. The story now zooms back to, to Joseph's family, Jacob and his sons, which we haven't heard of from in chapters now. I mean, as far as we know, their story is gone. But all of a sudden, they show back up. Why? Because the famine that's affected Egypt has affected the whole land. And so Jacob comes to his sons and says, hey, listen, we heard there's grain, or actually the sons come to Jacob. We heard there's grain in Egypt. We're starving here. All right, go get it. Now, it's interesting that all the sons are sent by Jacob except one, Benjamin, which is Joseph's only full brother. The other are half-brothers. It's his youngest brother. It's the favored son. That's literally what Benjamin means, favored son. Joseph is favored because of the way his father treats him. Benjamin is favored because of what his father calls him. But So uh, Benjamin, though, is Joseph's brother. The rest are halves. Joseph sends, I mean, Jacob sends all of them except Benjamin. It's almost like this question is still hanging out there. Can I trust these boys? Or is the exact same thing that happened to my first son going to happen to my other favored son? So Benjamin's left behind. The other ones, the other ten, they head on out to Egypt. They show up at Pharaoh's house. They don't realize that the one that is representing Pharaoh is their long-lost brother that they sold into slavery. Joseph recognizes them for who they are. But in this first visit, this first encounter, he's worked through this stuff with God, but now he comes face to face with the pain of his past. Can you imagine the things getting stirred up, the memories that are coming back as he looks in his brother's faces? And he treats them like strangers. They don't recognize him. And we see in this first interaction, this disconnection. He treats them roughly. He accuses them. He ends up throwing them in prison. And actually in this first interaction is every opportunity for Joseph to exact vengeance on his brother. Oh, you threw me in a pit? Let me show you what I can do. And he lets him sit in prison for about three days. But then... Chapter 42, verse 18, Joseph says, I fear God, and he releases them. He doesn't let them sit in the prison of his vengeance, but he sets them free. But he still has not made himself known to him. There's still a disconnection. There's still a huge question lingering in the air. Can I trust you? Are you any different? Because I can't begin to restore relationship with you if you're the same brothers that threw me in prison. And as soon as I uh, open my heart to you, you're going to do the exact same thing. You're going to take advantage. You're going to undermine. You're going to wound. You're going to hurt. I'm not opening myself up to you. I'm not trusting you with my heart. I've forgiven you. I've worked through it. I'm not holding on to that. I'm no longer bound by what you did back there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm stepping right back into it again. Amen? We understand that? I feel like that's important for somebody here. But now we hear the brother's side. 
Oh, I forgot my pictures. <laughs> I saw you watching me back there. It's like, I, I was realizing 13 years is how much time has passed between when uh, Joseph was thrown in the pit by his brothers and then now when they're showing back up. And I was just thinking, that's a long time. I think back 13 years ago, approximately 2009, where were you? What did you look like? I was good. This is my family in 2009. We've gone four-wheeling. There's two of us that are not even in that picture. This is my family now. And I was looking at my girls, and I was thinking, how different is Joseph to these boys, to his brothers? How different are his brothers to him, maybe now with a gray beard and balding? Just hypothetically saying, <laughs> theoretically. But Joseph, the amazing thing about our hearts is that time doesn't change them. In fact, one of the biggest lies that you have probably been told is that time heals. That's a lie. It's not true. It is why something that happened 30 years ago can stir you up like that as if it happened yesterday. Why? Because your heart is eternal. It's not bound by time. Time is irrelevant to your soul. Time doesn't heal. Only Jesus heals. So Joseph releases them from prison, all except one that he's holding back. And you get this sense as you read the story that Joseph's primary concern is about Benjamin, his brother, and his father. These other ones he doesn't know what to do with. Can I trust you? But then notice this, he sent, at the end of that chapter, he sends them back fully loaded with grain. They've brought money to pay for the grain. He gives them all of their money back. He takes nothing from his brothers. It's as if he's saying, I need nothing from you. And in fact, he gives them more. Not just the grain they're asking for, not just the money that they brought, but he also gives them provisions for their journey. One of the clearest signs of forgiveness is the ability to bless. When I'm praying with somebody into whatever this, this wound or this pain of their past, and we walk through the process of releasing and forgiveness, can you just acknowledge it out loud? Can you say it out loud? Can you see this person now in your mind? Can you release them to Jesus? And then I'll often ask, as, as they're praying, when you see that person, what are you feeling? And often, not always, Often, the primary thing they feel is compassion. They begin to see that person for who they are, their own woundedness, their own flaws, their own brokenness. It doesn't justify or excuse anything, but it gives them a different perspective, that they are now able to bless the very one that wounded them in the first place. And we see that with Joseph, sending them off, not just with their grain, but with all their money and provisions for the journey. The brothers go back. Uh, they say that the one uh, prerequisite for coming back to get more grain is this next time they have to bring their brother Benjamin with them. They tell their father that. Uh, Jacob's not willing to let Benjamin go. And so he said, he's like, no, no, there's no way. So they, they wait it out. They wait it out. The, the food starts running out. The other brothers are like, we're starving. Let us go back to Egypt. Dad, why are you holding on to your, we're going to all die. 
So finally, Jacob relents. He sends them all with Benjamin and basically says, listen, if he's dead, I'm dead. Let it be as it's going to be. They show back up. The second visit, they move from prisoners to guests. They're invited into Joseph's house. Joseph sees Benjamin. He hears about his father, and it says that his compassion grew warm within him. He's deeply moved. There's also a little tidbit that was shared earlier on. The brothers are talking amongst themselves. They're talking in their natural language. They don't realize that Joseph could understand them. They don't know who he is. He's speaking through an interpreter. And they say to each other, this is because of our guilt, because of our brother. Our blood, the, the blood of our guilt is coming back on our own heads. There's a, re, there's, a, there's a recognition by Joseph that they have owned their sin. And it's in that place, the forgiveness uh, the, the confession of, uh, of forgiveness and the confession of guilt that creates the, the ground, the soil in which reconciliation can take place. But it's messy. Trust takes years to build and can be lost like that. And we see Joseph beginning. He's, they've moved from prisoners to now they're invited into his house. They share a meal, though they're still not sitting at the same table. They're still not speaking the same language. There's still distance between them, but they're closer. They're coming closer to each other. Finally, he sends them off again, only this time he's planted a little trick on them. He's put a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. There's still this kind of idea that he's just trying to, take, he's trying to protect Benjamin. They go chasing off. Why did you steal? Why did you repay good with evil? The interesting thing is that they're... Through this whole narrative, the word silver shows up 30 times, almost 30 times. The first time it's mentioned is the silver that they receive for selling their brother into slavery. The last time it's mentioned is here, as Joseph is, is, is reconnecting now with his brother. He's becoming full circle. They come back. We didn't mean to steal from you. We don't know how this happened. We didn't try to steal from you. They're begging an audience with their brother. Finally, Judah steps up. Judah, the very one that was at the, the center of the plot to, to imprison him in the first place, and, and opens his heart to him. Instead of just whispering off to the side, now he comes to Joseph, and he says, listen, here's the story. Our father's heart is broken. His heart is bound up with that boy because he had another son. And he believed that son was torn to pieces. If you take this, if you take this last son away from our father is going to kill him. And you see uh, Judah's recognition of his own brokenness. Judah's willingness, in fact, to step in and sacrifice his life for the sake of his brother Benjamin. He says, don't take Benjamin. You can have my life instead. And all of a sudden, Judah moves from the one who at the beginning was throwing Joseph in a, prison, in a pit and selling him into slavery out of jealousy and envy to being the one that is begging Pharaoh to take his life to spare his brother. And it's in that place that Joseph recognizes this is not the same brother that I knew 13 years ago. And weeping from the depth of his soul, Joseph reveals, I am Joseph, your brother. It wasn't you that sold me into slavery. It was God sending me to Egypt. It was God preparing the way. 
It was God who brought me here. Three different times, Joseph says, it is not your sin that defined my path. It was the hand of God that used your dumb decisions to get me exactly where he needed me to be to save our family. And in that moment of reconciliation, where they've moved from distance and isolation to vulnerability and connection, that their relationship is restored. And even when that moment of reconciliation happens, at first it says the brothers are speechless. They're terrified. They don't know what to say. Joseph opens his heart to them, and at the end it says, this is a simple little phrase, but it's a beautiful phrase, and they talked together. Now why is that such a powerful phrase? If you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, What's the first thing that we learn about Joseph's relationship with his brothers? They despised him so much, this is the phrase, that they couldn't even speak to him. And 13 years later, this journey of pain, of forgiveness, and of now reconciliation, we have a group of brothers that have acknowledged the past, and have moved forward into, the, into embracing the present, who are now able to stand face to face and relate to each other, human to human, flesh and blood, reconciled. I don't know what memories are coming to mind as I tell that story. I don't know what family members what friends, what bosses, what neighbors. What I do know is that Jesus wants to set your heart free. That Jesus wants to heal and restore. And that may not look like a, a reconciled relationship like Joseph experienced with his brothers. You can't control the other person's response. You, can, you are only responsible for your own life. But right now, what is Jesus inviting you into? What is he inviting you to release to him? I want to pray for us. We're going to continue in worship. But I also invite you, we have a prayer team, both on Sunday mornings, but then throughout the week. Now, we pray into exactly this kind of thing with people. Because often, the deepest wounds, we're not meant to journey into alone. The greatest healing in my life has come from, first, Jesus dealing with my own sins and brokenness and extending his grace and mercy into my life. But then, second, is being able to stand in a position where he is healed deeply in my soul and encounters and moments that I can look back on uh, recognizing in Joseph that guttural cry when he finally releases this before God that I am no longer bound by my past and my prayer is that like Joseph I can extend grace and blessing and even offer to others what was taken from me What does God want to do for you?
So I invite you just to close your eyes. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, living and active. This isn't just an ancient story, but it's the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, even right now, for your children sitting here, Is there any place of unforgiveness in their own heart? And Lord, if so, will you just call that to mind? If not, praise the Lord. And if you're able, just in your own heart before the Lord, as you see that person or persons, Acknowledge the pain, the wound. And be honest with Jesus about it. That's what confession is. He already knows it. Just telling him what it is. And if you're able to just pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, I forgive whoever for and just name those things if you can. Name of Jesus, will you cancel that debt? I release those things to you. And ask him, Jesus, will you restore, will you replace or heal those things that were lost or taken? Ask Jesus to pour back into your life and your heart the things that were wounded or lost. So Jesus, we ask, what do you want me to know? As I said, this is a long process, not just a Sunday morning, though maybe God wants to do something powerful or even miraculous for you this morning. You're not alone in this journey. Maybe God's just inviting you to take one step forward with him. So Lord, will you meet us wherever we are with whatever's getting stirred up, whatever's coming to mind. Lord, we thank you that first your forgiveness was extended to us for the millions of ways that we have wounded others, that we've lived in selfishness or fear. The things that we've done or haven't done that we should have done, that all of that went on the cross with you. 
So even right now, Lord, we acknowledge the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's from that place of receiving your forgiveness that you invite us to live a life of freedom, of releasing others in that same kind of forgiveness. That you went to the cross for all of us. For all of it. And it's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus we pray.